Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear from eight-time European Tour Order Merit winner Colin Montgomery and ask, has Bryson DeChambeau changed golf forever? Hi, I'm Paul McGinley and you're listening to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I am joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Tom. Hi, listeners. And Nick Bonfield. Hi, Nick. Hello, Klaza. You well? I'm very well. As you well know, I'm a Liverpool fan, so I've been celebrating <laughs> the last two weeks. What football team do you support, Nick? Hey, we may have lost 2-0 to you, but I actually celebrated that because it didn't completely crush our momentum and spirit heading into a, a pivotal last five games of the season. I thought we actually acquitted ourselves quite well against you. This is Aston Villa, by the way, my team. Yeah. So, um, as, we had, uh, we had more, more shots on target than you, I think, in the first 75 minutes, which is quite impressive at the home of the yeah. champions. It doesn't uh, get you three points, though, does it? So, uh, yeah, that's just uh, Nick Bonfield, an Aston Villa fan, celebrating losing 2-0 to Liverpool. But anyway, let's talk about some golf. Um, Elliot, play any golf for the weekend? Yeah, I had a competition at the weekend. It was quite uh, bad, I guess. I had 26 points, up 0.1. But we implemented a new scoring system, so there was no contact. Did our own scorecards, had to verbally agree them with our marker, upload them via the app, so that was quite interesting. Also, had a couple of beers after golf for the first time in months, so that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, pubs open, so golf clubhouses have opened now too. Uh, yeah, had the driver gips. I probably sliced about six drives right, which you can't really do when you play a four. But uh, yeah, overall enjoyable day. <laughs> sounds, sounds like you played absolutely horrendously, but yeah, uh, enjoyed the beer afterwards. Tom, did you hear about my last round of golf? Well, I was just about to move on to that. I have heard that you have played recently. Please do inform us what happened. Okay, so I was playing at Waldingham, one of my favourite haunts down in Croydon. Favourite because there are no par fours over 400 yards off the yellows and it's basically impossible to lose a ball. And I was playing rather well. I was level par through 11 holes. Bearing in mind I play off 12. (laughs) Having had my first ever eagle, uh, where I drove the green of a par four and hold the putt. And I stood in the 12th tee and thought, this could be my best round ever. And as we all know, as soon as you think that, things go terribly wrong. Hit my very next shot out of bounds, bogeyed the next, and then made a quadruple on the 14th. So I played three holes in seven over par, having played the previous 11 in level par. Ended up shooting 10 over. And the annoying thing is the last seven holes in that golf course aren't difficult either. I'd normally play them in kind of three or four over. And had I done that, I would have shot 75, like comfortably my best round ever. Sounds entertaining. Um, So you had your first ever eagle knife yeah and it was actually really bad etiquette for me i didn't think the green was in reach at all it was 300 yards and there were people putting out on the green and me and my playing partner agreed that we couldn't get we thought we could get maybe within 30 yards uh, but i absolutely smoked one and i got just the most amazing bounce and it rolled over the crest of the hill and down onto the front of the green that settled about 10 feet from the pin so obviously I was very apologetic and also when I hold that eagle part I was just absolutely delighted I'd never done that before it took me to one under par three four holes and it was just a great moment but then obviously screwed it up afterwards but hey ho did you get nervous on the back nine then is that what happened 
the funny thing is I didn't even get I, I wasn't I wouldn't even describe myself as nervous I was just as soon as I thought that it could be my best round I almost resigned myself to the fact it was going to go wrong the, the most annoying thing was making an eight a quadruple bogey on a 330 yard par four <laughs> that's where it all went horribly wrong I mean I hit it onto a mound on the left hand side duffed it off the mound chunked one into a bunker left it short and then just to add insult to injury three putted after all of that um, great golf, great golf. Great golf. But I, mean, I played, played really well for the first eleven holes. I mean, even on quite an easy golf course, it's still that's that's quite tough to do to, to play that many holes in level. So I was pretty happy with that. And I shot thirty six on the front nine, which was level par, and it's the first time I've ever done that. So first eagle, first level par front nine. So I mean, overall, I'm really happy with how I played. Just a real shame that I couldn't finish the job off. The next time that we have a golf monthly outing, you're getting cut again. Well, no, because in the end, they only got thirty seven points. Only 37 points. Yeah. You've used the words only and 37 points. There. You need to play this that golf course. quite straightforward. sentence of a bandit, if I've ever heard one. Just play this <laughs> golf course and then come back to me. I mean, the slope rating, I don't know what it is, but it's it's not the most challenging track out there, put it that way. I'd, um, I'd make it look challenging, I'm sure. Um, that's good. Have we got any more golf coming up this week? I'm playing tonight, actually. We're at, at Waldingham again, so hopefully I can right those wrongs from the last seven holes. Sounds like fun. And Elliot, are you playing? Uh, yeah, I'm playing on Sunday, just a friendly game. Got another comp later this month, so yeah, hopefully it goes a little bit better than at the weekend. So I, I, I play off four, and I start a double-double. <sighs> Probably should have gone home then. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking about was the pint at the end of it, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, I have obviously because I haven't been to a, a pub or a bar for quite a while. Drinking the small bottles at home, going up to a pint, it's actually you know bigger than I expected or bigger <laughs> than I remembered. You're, you're, were, you, were you a bit lightheaded after a couple of pints, Elliot? Were you? Uh, definitely, yeah. Those three hundred thirty milliliter bottles are nowhere near as powerful. It sounds like you're having a slightly different lockdown to me because my alcohol consumption has gone through the roof recently. So. Um, <laughs> But to be fair, Elliot, you've been you were a lightweight before lockdown, and it sounds like you're a lightweight after lockdown. So uh, nothing changed. <laughs> um, let's move on to someone who's certainly not a lightweight, uh, certainly not anymore, and that's Bryson DeChambeau, who uh, won the Rocket Mortgage Classic on the PGA Tour at the weekend, finished at twenty three under to beat Matthew Wolf by three at Detroit Golf Club. Shot seven under par in the final round, including three birdies in a row, to close out his sixth PJ Tour title. Bryson becomes the first PJ Tour winner to average over 350 yards from the tee. He was also the first PJ Tour winner to lead strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained putting in the same week. Ambo was actually hitting it so far that the shot link stats recorded some of his drives as approach shots. He moves up to seventh in the world. Uh, other headlines were that Webb Simpson is out to career high fourth after finishing in the top ten. Kisner was third. Hatton, Willett and Hadwin were fourth. And Hatton now has two wins, a third, a fourth and a sixth in his last six starts and he's up to world number 15. So loads and loads to discuss here. But we have to start with Bryson DeChambeau, of course. And with the incredible length that he's now got off the tee has he changed the game of golf forever <laughs> yeah quite possibly it's uh unbelievable watching him is it's so entertaining to you know when it's one of his holes where he can absolutely lash it it's, it's great he was a little bit wayward off the tee i thought but 
only hit like 40% of fairways in the final round, but when you hit eight iron, 230 yards out of flyer lies, it really doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I think either he will change the game forever in the fact that youngsters will start copying him or his fellow tour players will start copying him or the RNA and the USGA may have to look at equipment changes. I just think people underestimate the work that's gone into this. And I think it's very easy to say, oh yeah, people will start following him because they want, you know, they want the end, they want the end product. They want the end result. Are they going to really want to spend six hours or five hours a day in the gym? I don't think so. And also it's very easy to make these comments when Bryson's in peak form, but you know, he's, as we know from professional golf, he's not going to be in peak form forever. So it'd be very interesting to monitor what happens when when he has a little stump. And I think any change at this point, in my opinion, would be a slightly knee-jerk reaction. Also, we have to bear in mind that he had a, a great great week on the greens as well. And and just looking at the PGA Tour website, there's some absolutely fascinating statistics on here. So bear with me a sec. So just nine players in PGA Tour history have averaged more than one strokes gained off the tee per round over an entire season. Of those players... The average strokes gained on the greens per round is 0.06. Bryson's currently gaining 0.69 strokes on the greens per round. So that is just an absolutely incredible combination. And I hope when we're all analysing this, we don't forget just how stellar his performance has been on the greens and the fact that he ranks 12th in strokes gained putting on the on the tour this season too. I, th- I think that's the, a, a fair point, actually. It's not just the power that is leading to his his good performances at the moment. There's all kinds of things. I mean, the power is helping because he's coming in with shorter irons, so he should be near the flag and all that stuff when he's on the green. But um, he is passing particularly well. And the thing which I think that people haven't really mentioned is that hitting the ball a long way is not a new thing in golf. And if anyone's watched the long driving world championships or anything like that, there are some guys who absolutely beast the ball out there, you know, to 400 plus yards with particularly hot drivers and things like that. And I think it was only a matter of time before someone actually really tried to to change the way that golf was being played and see if they could actually hit the distances that other other humans have already shown that they can hit it. So um, I think it's great for Bryson. As you say, I think the most important thing, I think, Elliot, you said it, is... Uh, it's entertaining to watch, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's a he's an innovator. He's going to go down in history. He does things his own way. Obviously, he has his own unique clubs where they're all the same length. He He's tried side saddle putting. That didn't go well for him. Uh, but now he's trying this. And I think, yeah, when we look back in 20, 30, 40 years, we'll, we'll remember Bryson DeChambeau for changing the game and doing things his own way. Also, I, I think, Nigel, what you said there about how he's in good form at the moment, but I think he is one of the generation's best players. He's one of the only five guys to win the NCAA and the USO uh, amateur in the same year. He's He's got potential to be world number one and win plenty of majors. So I, I don't think this is just a flash in the pan. I think we'll see him up around leaderboards for the next five or 10 years at least. Yeah, but he's not going to maintain this form you know, indefinitely, is he? There will be a slump at some stage and then we won't be talking about how far he's hitting the ball. I mean, the reality is that probably half a PGA, for, half a PGA Tour field each week, if not more, are capable of hitting the ball 350 yards given the right conditions. So it's not an extraordinary leap that people are making it out. Uh, and the other thing that people have said, and I've seen a few comments saying, you know, golf's quite boring to watch when you just 
watching someone hit driver and wedge. What would you rather? Bryson standing on tee with a driver on a 400-yard hole, not knowing where it's going to go, or watching Kevin Kisner hit one down there 280 and, and hit a 9-iron or wedge into the green. I mean, for me, there's only one winner. I think it's a bit harsh on Kevin Kisner there, to be honest with you, Nige. But um, you are right. And I think the one thing is that I do worry about the longevity of Bryson's career now because of the the, the massive change that he's had on his body. I think that is the big thing that we're going to have to look at. And if he does get injured and he's not able to work out, you know, what's going to happen to his body? You know, he's got an awful lot of extra muscle in there. He's going to have to keep, uh, you know, being able to stay active and fit to, to make sure that it sticks, stays his muscle, doesn't it? So I think there's an awful lot of questions still to be answered. And I know... Elliot, you're very excited about him at the moment, saying he could be world number one and we're going to be talking about him in 20 years' time or 30 years' time. I think that's still to be seen, to be honest with you. And I know he's he's in a particularly good run of form at the moment and he's won multiple times down the PJ Tour. But he hasn't won a major yet. You know, he has he been at a Ryder Cup? Yeah, he was in Paris in 2018. Yeah. He, had, he had a yeah. terrible week. Yeah, he's had, he's had one Ryder Cup. You know, there's an awful lot of things that he still has to do before he's just, you know, before, before we look back at his career and say, wow, what a game changer. What a, what a man who, who changed so many things. There's been plenty of innovators out there uh, in the world of golf. So, um, you know, the, the, the thing that we're obviously going to chat about is, is about the course's length, which keeps on being chatted about uh, and what on earth are the people going to do about it. But that's that was there before Bryson started hitting 350. Um, and there's plenty of other people who can you can hit hit it a long way. And he did win a course on on Sunday, which is which suits his game, doesn't it? It suits his game. You know, hit the ball as far as you can, try and find it. You usually can find it, hit a wedge in. There's plenty of courses where that's not going to work. Um, and starting again, you know, let's talk about the majors. Is he actually going to be able to to do that on a US Open course and succeed? I don't know. Possibly. He, he's said multiple times now that his his goal is to win majors and that's kind of the reason why he's done this to his body. So, yeah, I can't wait to see him around Augusta, see how far... You know, he launches it around. Can he get it over the corner on 13 and hit a sand wedge in? Is he going to hit pitch and wedge into the 15th? Yeah, it's just, he's so fun to watch at the moment. But I don't think that the governing bodies are finding it as fun as I am. I don't think enough people are discussing kind of the risk that he's taken and lauding him for that because, yeah, everything seems rosy right now. But it's an extraordinary change and an extraordinary risk really in terms of the strain that he's putting on his body. And I was chatting to Eddie Pepperell recently and he was saying he was obviously very impressed by what he's achieved, but he was more impressed by the fact he decided that this risk was worth taking and he had nothing but respect for him because of that. Because if things start going wrong, we can see a very different landscape. Yeah, I I think that's right. And again, that's why we need to look at it. And, you know, I I hope he does do well. I'll be honest with you. He's someone who's really working at his game. He's doing absolutely everything. He is innovating. He is entertaining. He is controversial as well. And he might change the game, but I think there's a long way before we do that. And um, as, you, as you said earlier, that, I mean, the RA are keeping um, a close eye on things. From the latest Distance Insights report that the RA released, they said there's a 100-year trend of hitting distance increases in golf as well as in a corresponding increase in the length of golf courses across the game globally the rna and the usga believe this continuing cycle is detrimental to the game's long-term future uh, 
Increased hitting distance can begin to undermine the core principle that the challenge of golf is about, needing to demonstrate a broad range of skills to be successful. If courses continue to lengthen, it is at odds with great societal concerns about the use of water, chemicals and other resources. Longer distances and courses, longer tees and longer times to play are taking golf in the wrong direction and are not necessary for a challenging, enjoyable and sustainable game. Which is all very, you know, which is all against what actually Bryson's now kind of doing. But do is it something, are, are people just worrying about these things too much? There's too many things which seem to go against each other. They want to protect some golf courses, but they don't want people hitting the ball too far. But we want it to, golf to be entertaining as possible. What, what I, I think this, I think golf is confused with what it actually wants to be at the moment. Does it want to be entertaining? Does it want to be still a, a tough challenge? What do, what do we actually want golf to be shown as on the TV? Do we want it to be really entertaining or really tough? Well, the, the PGA Tour want it to be entertaining. The RNA and USGA want golf's future health solidified and I think what they said there what you just read out basically says that they're not happy with what Bryson's doing obviously this is a they haven't said this recently this was at the start of the year and this was when McElroy Cameron Champ Brooks Kepka were the biggest hitters in golf and I think they were probably happy at keeping it at that but now DeChambeau has has kind of pushed the needle a little bit further I don't think they'll be very happy with that you're not going to change this all for one guy, though, are you? Let's be honest. I mean, he was, wasn't he averaging about 10 yards more than the person in second place last week? I, I don't, I think you're quite right, Tom, in that we seem slightly conflicted at the moment. And, and I don't really see what's to be gained from, you know, future changes in terms of possibly rolling the ball back. I mean, again, speaking to, to Eddie Pepper the other day, he was saying it's actually detrimental to him because he has to go from hitting an eight iron to hitting a six iron, whereas Bryson has to go from hitting a wedge to an eight iron. And actually that is easier than going from eight to six iron. So he wasn't in favour of rolling the ball back. And I think a lot of pros feel that way too. And also the, the, the guys, the big hitters aren't the ones that are successful every week. And there's plenty of people who aren't, you know, are just average hitters who, who also do well, aren't there? It's very easy just to focus on distance and downplay the role of, skill and other facets of the game to win a golf tournament you basically have to be on every part of the game don't you or maybe you can have one area that's slightly lower down but you basically have to be really adept in all areas and people just looking at the distances are kind of doing a disservice to to Bryson's skill set in other areas of the game you know putting approach play has been good this season statistically he's very solid across the board and has been all season it's not just about the power hitting though admittedly that is getting the headlines and it does help on certain courses as you say I say it all the time, you know, maybe we try modifying course setups and, and even the nature of courses and go to slightly different places where it's not possible to play this game or where playing this game is a very risky approach. And if he chooses to do that still and is successful, then you just have to say hats off to him, you deserve it. I think at the moment, if we see the PJ Tour and there's too many birdies, we moan about it being too easy. Whereas if we were all playing golf and we were making birdies, we'd probably play more, more golf. We'd probably find it more interesting. You already mentioned about your eagle. You know, that was what will get you back out playing golf again. So I think there's, there were, there were, we've got to work out what actually we want golf to be like. And if actually it means that we have shorter golf courses, so that actually it means that we can actually play golf quicker. So we're not having to trudge around 7,000 yards or actually trudge around 6,000 yards. But it actually means that we, we shoot lower scores. Is that a problem? Let, let me ask you this question. 
Who in the last decade, say, has entertained you more than Bryson is entertaining you at the moment? Well, other than you, Nigel. Other than me. Tiger, Rory, DJ, Kepka, Sergio. Sergio? Come on, really? Yeah, I'm a big Sergio fan. I love him. I'm enjoying watching Bryson more than any of those guys that you mentioned over the last decade. And aren't we in an entertainment industry? Yeah, yeah, you are right. He gets the headlines. He's fun to watch. That, that, that's exactly it. And I, I don't think it's right that we should compare to other people because other people are just, you know, doing trying to do the best that they can do, and they're trying to be entertained, but also they're trying to, you know, forge a successful career. Uh, and I think there is a line between the, you know, the characters in golf. How many of the characters of golf have actually been successful at golf? I'm sure we did a, a feature quite recently, didn't we? In the so we did a Mavericks issue a couple of years back, actually. Some of those Mavericks are very, very were very successful. Some of them entertaining, but actually, overall, how much did they actually win? So you've got to find that 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 line and that balance. And um, I just think golf's just a bit confused at the moment. You know, he says, "Oh, you know what? We want to play quicker. We want to play quicker." But actually, we're going to then actually reduce how far you can hit the ball, so it takes longer. I, I just don't understand what, what, where we're actually supposed to be heading towards at the moment. I think until the game gets its head round, you know, what they want, wants to be done. I mean, look at other sports. Look at, I'll mention cricket as I always do. You know, the cricket they hit the ball, cricket hit the ball further. They, they actually brought the boundaries in. So there's more sixes because that's the entertaining bit of the game. You want some more sixes. You want balls to be hit out of the park. You know, they want there to be entertainment. You want to, you want, you want to see that. Um mm. And I think you just—if it's just a slog, if you just—if you make the game harder and harder, I just don't think people are going to watch it. I think a sort of salient point to raise here is the fact that you can admire what Bryson's done and also simultaneously be slightly concerned about the future and what it does to the kind of integrity and the, the core values of the sport. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. But for now, with one person doing this, you know, is one person going to change the needle? And if so does that not strike you as a massively knee-jerk reaction? I mean, maybe we have this conversation in 10 years and if a load of future generation of college players come out and play this way and everyone's carrying it 350 in tournament play, then maybe we have an issue. But for now, can't we just admire what he's done and enjoy watching someone totally different, you know, take the fairways and, and be really successful? I think it's great at the moment and I have an issue with it. One way that perhaps he's not showcasing a broad range of skills from what he's doing is... You barely see him hit a long iron these days, and I think that's probably something that the RNA are alluding to there, and they want golf to be a, a test of the full bag. And I can't really remember seeing him hit anything more than an eight iron last week, apart from a driver and a, a fairway wood off the tee. But if he's hitting an eight iron 200 yards, or however far he hits it, then kind of long irons are obsolete. You, know, you say, yeah, exactly. my, my, yeah, but my, my initial thought was kind of par threes, but he's standing on par three tees, isn't he? And hitting eight and like 200 yards. So if it then might, I guess my next point here is that what can they do then to make him hit long irons? Because you can't make par threes like 260 yards. So he has to hit a four or five iron. So what, I mean, what, what can they do? Yeah. I'm very interested to see the next distance insights report from the governing bodies. Yeah, that's it. And, um, we have heard in recent weeks, there's a few people obviously do think that actually it is time to maybe roll back on some of the equipment. One of those people were Colin Montgomery, and we caught up with the eight-time Order of Merit winner, uh, a recent charity pro-am at Walperston, where golf monthly's Jeremy Elwood chatted to him. 
Can you just give us a summary of your views on the state of the game? Where is golf at? Where is it doing well? Where is it struggling? Okay, well, I think struggling is easy and it's time. We've got to get back to the three-hour round of golf. I was brought up, and I'm sure you were too, on golf took three hours, whether it was a two-ball or a three-ball. Four balls took a bit longer because one out of the four sort of lost the ball off the tee. But uh, two and three balls should take no longer than three hours to play, and we've, and we've lost that. And that's why a number of people aren't playing the game that they used to, you know? Family commitments and all the other stuff that comes into life nowadays, and uh, we need to get back to three hours. How we do that, oh, that's the powers that be, but we have to get back to three hours playing golf. Three hours. And where's golf doing well? What is golf? I think the pro game is exceptionally strong right now. I think we've got a great group of guys that are leading the way, that are uh, promoting our game and ambassadors for the game that we've never had before. Uh, great guys uh, leading our game. The Jordan Spees, the Justin Thomases, the Ricky Fowlers, the Rorys. Uh, you know, these, these guys that are really pushing the game forward in a very positive light. Uh, the amateur game, there's less, there's less people, members of golf clubs, want to get them back because of the timing. Uh, but you see here, they love it. They love the game. Well, this is this is okay. This is, I mean, the highest compliment I can play Warpeston is it's very similar to Sunningdale, yeah. Sunningdale Old, which I think is the best inland course we have in the country. And if it's in the same breath as that, that's a huge compliment for Warpeston Golf Club. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, what are the main differences between life on the senior tour and on the regular tour? It's a bit more relaxed. A bit more relaxed. You, you still want to win. You still have the same feeling winning. But I think before and after. I think it's more relaxed. Uh, the young guys are in the gyms and they're, you know, they're focused on their God knows what, their biorhythms and all the carry-ons that they have. We're not. Uh, but when the gun goes on Friday morning or Thursday morning, whatever it might be, uh, certainly it's competitive and that's why, we're, that's why we play. Did you think you would enjoy senior golf? I didn't actually. I didn't think I'd be, didn't, I'd be playing senior golf. I'm, I'm 57 now, so I've, I've done this for six years and... Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed playing against the likes of Langer, Couples, you know, now Vijay Singh, Steve Stricker, Mickelson, uh, uh, the, these guys coming through, Jim Fury. These, these are the guys that I was, I was playing against uh, when I was coming through and, and, and trying to win majors against these guys. And it's no different now. You're trying to beat them. You know, the self-esteem goes through the roof if you win a golf tournament. Yeah. Can you shed any light on why some players didn't do an awful lot on the regular tour and then suddenly mm. found their feet on something? I think, yes, yes. Carl Mason's yes, yes, uh, done very well. There's a few guys out on the Champions Tour that I play in America that, are, that have done particularly well that weren't tour players as such. I think it's the relaxed nature of it. Yeah. I think they're made, they're made to feel extremely welcome on, on, on the tours. And uh, once you've got that feeling of winning, if I can do it once, I can do it again, you know? And I think that's, that's a lot of the guys uh, have felt that and, uh, and have benefited from it, yeah. When a new batch come out onto the senior tour, mm -hmm. is it easy for you to tell who's going to do well and who's not? Or? Uh, yes, I think so. I think so. The guys that have prepared properly for it, Ernie Els, Ratif Goosen, just come on our tour, have prepared for it. Uh, they've kept themselves fit. They're, they're ready to go. Uh, the guys that aren't prepared take a few years to get into it. So you've got to prepare. It's a business. And at 50 years old, we're too young to stop, really. And, uh, you know, we're retired a long time anyway, hopefully. 
So uh, why not do something between 50 and 60? Yeah. yeah. And are you um, enjoying it as much as ever? I mean, you, you obviously haven't to live in America quite a lot. Yeah, I'm over, I'm over in America sort of two thirds of the year. Yeah. Right now, with the, with the virus uh, spiking, it's not the best place to be, to be honest. Uh, but at the same time, it's my job and that's what we do. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm living there a lot. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. They've made me extremely welcome. There's a warmth and welcoming from, from the fans in America and uh, I've enjoyed that. Okay, this is cool. I'm sure you've been asked this question a few times, but I'm going to couch it in a self-defensive way. If the golfing gods or fairies came along and said, you've got to sacrifice all your order of merit and you mm -hmm. can have one major. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, I've, I've, no, no, thank you very much. I'll take what I've been given. Thank you very much. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't sacrifice any of them. I'm, I'm very proud of what I've achieved and uh, I never, never go back. Always, always try and look forward to the next senior major coming along and try and, try and get that one. Having won three senior majors, I've been very fortunate to put that major disappointment as such behind me and uh, go forward with it. But the eight orders of merit were were very special times and I wouldn't take any of them back. Excellent. Four little rapid questions here to finish. Go on. Lynx golf, are you a fan or not? I'm not a fan of Lynx golf and that's strange coming from Trun. I prefer the American style of play where the ball stops where it where it lands. Uh, putters? Yes. Bad round, stick with it or does it get dispatched to some? A bad putting round, it always has a debate on the way home, right. the putter and me. Uh, whether it, whether it makes the next day or not uh, depends on practice mainly. Was it a bad, was it the putter, was it me, was it the feel, was it the pace of the greens? There's a number of sort of uh, 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 idiosyncrasies that come around, but mainly it's, it's a confidence. Yeah, yeah. Do tour pros hit it too far? No, tour pros don't hit it too far. Golf courses aren't big enough for them. So something has to happen. I was quoted in saying that Bryson DeChambeau hits the ball too far. No, he doesn't. He doesn't hit the ball too far if the courses were 10,000 yards. They're not. They're 7,000 yards. Now he's hitting the ball too far for that particular golf course. I would love tournaments to go back to Sunningdale Old, Woodall Spa, to these classic inland courses that are 6,800. But you can't. They're too short now. Now, is that because he's hitting the ball too far but the courses haven't changed you know they're fantastic course i just love to be able to use them that was all yeah. so it's not that dechambo hits the ball too far it doesn't he hits it too far for a 7000 yard course not for a 10000 yard course but we can't afford to build 10000 yard courses that's the problem and and the cost of maintaining them that's the issue so we've got to uh, we've got to balance somehow okay that's very good thank, thank you very you much not at all thank you there you go. That was Colin Montgomery speaking to Golf Monthly's Jeremy Elwood. Elliot, what did you find interesting about that? Uh, well, yeah, continuing on from our discussion, really, uh, ending there with Bryson DeChambeau saying, well, he clarified what he said. He said he doesn't hit it too far, but he does hit it too far for today's courses. And yeah, <laughs> will we see a 10,000-yard course there, like Monty saying? I don't know. But uh, that, that was interesting. Also, again, what we said earlier about golf taking too long, Monty is... Um, very insistent on golf taking three hours again i don't think that's realistic these days i i played at the weekend in three hours 45 minutes in a four ball and that's without our halfway hut so normally it'd be four hours i don't i don't really see how golf can get any quicker at the moment to be honest 
I, I think again, it goes back to um, you know. I think golf courses. Everyone's got to look at what's going on. You know, how long did it actually take you? If you just had to walk seven thousand yards without hitting any golf balls, how long would that take you? And that's the thing. The, the, obviously, the, the further the distance, the longer it's going to take. So, if you want to golf to be shorter, then actually you've got to play on courses which aren't too long. I mean, it's common sense, isn't it? I know. Yes, I, I I see where you're coming from. I, I'm probably the wrong person to comment on round times because I don't see it as an issue. Must I mean, it's probably me as a as kind of a non-married uh, person without children. I actually don't care that a round of golf takes me four hours, and I quite like doing it at a leisurely pace and taking everything in. And I like playing in four balls where I can interact with more people and sort of root for more people to do well. So I don't really want to see golf take three hours I've certainly played with people before who I thought were playing too fast and actually slightly infected my enjoyment of it because I felt like I had to rush over my shots which I didn't enjoy but it's just just highlights that there are so many different perspectives within the game and that's why it's so hard to manage for the, for the governing bodies and I think that's a very fair point Nick and if you think that then actually there's other people out there as well who actually go you know what I've actually booked in a round of golf for today you know I've got it in there it's in my diary I'm teeing off at midday and I'm going to chill out and enjoy my round of golf with my mates. I exactly. And it's, but I, I'm not thinking, all right, I need to play, I need to squeeze around in the morning, then I need to be back for one o'clock so I can take my child to swimming lessons or whatnot. Yeah. I'm not thinking those things. I'm just thinking, great, I'm playing golf with my friends. I want it to last for as long as possible. Within reason, obviously, like I hate it when people leave their bags on the wrong side of the greens and when people dither over shots and when people are playing slowly, and not being courteous to people around them. But as a general principle, I'm fine with round times as they are yeah. currently. I generally play around a golf between three and a half and four and a half hours, whether depending on whether I'm doing three or four ball, and that's absolutely fine with me at the moment. Whilst I also understand that that is not fine for some other people, uh, I get that too. But for me, it's fine as it is. What do you think, Elliot? Uh, I think Monty probably has a well. He does have a point. Uh, if you are busy and if you're not a massive golfer, then yeah, you are going to be put off by rounds taking four and a half hours. Yeah. when you've got other things to do in your life but i i tend to agree with nige i yeah i enjoy a leisurely football at a slow pace and yeah you make a day of it don't you but that's that's the balancing act that the governing bodies have to deal with yeah absolutely well so also there's one other event which took place last week which we need to mention before moving on to looking for uh, ahead to this week's tournaments there was the next one in the rose ladies series Gemma Dryberg won the uh, Rose Lady Series event at the Buckinghamshire at three under par. Georgia Hall was tied second after bogey in the 18th, where Charlie Hull, who won the first event, is now top of the order after three rounds. This week, it moves on to Royal St George's in Kent. And again, another decent winner this week. And it's turning into quite a, a good battle, all of this, isn't it? Yeah, I'm really enjoying following it. Uh, wish I could watch it on the telly, like I keep on saying, but uh, the fields are getting really strong. Georgia Hall's now in all of them now, and I can't wait for the West Course at Wentworth. That's one of my favourite golf courses just in the world, and it's great that the women are going to get a chance to play it in the final for, I think, 35 grand, thanks to the sponsors. And, yeah, just a, a great, great series. Yeah. yeah, great courses, aren't they? I mean, the Buckinghamshire would probably be, you know, if you were ranking the courses from one to six, would probably be near the bottom there. But that is a, a lovely, lovely, very well-conditioned golf course. I think it's uh, might still be. It certainly wasn't the past the home of the Ladies European Tour as well. And um, I actually have some quite nice memories in the Buckinghamshire. I played with um, 
I think I played with Charlie Hull at the Buckinghamshire actually in the Ladies European Tour event, and uh, so that was great. Um, Carly Booth as well. Um, yeah, no, very interested to see how it plays out, and uh, hopefully it goes right down to the wire in, in the sixth event with regards to the uh, the race for the uh, Order of Merit title. Just to clarify that you weren't actually playing in the Ladies European Tour event, were you? It was the no, it was it was a media day or pro am or something, <laughs> something of that description. Well, you snuck into the field there, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I think it's good that, that I, the thing which I I think I just want to point out is that. This with the playing at Royal St George's, obviously, you know, an, an open roaster course. And obviously, also, Royal St George's, not that long ago, had a few issues with, with female members, which now is, is all sorted now, and anyone could be a member now there, really. Um, and I think it's great that they're hosting, and they put their hands up that they wanted to host this event and to get the cream of the crop of, of some of the best uh, female players in Europe teeing up there. And it should be a really good insight and nice to see some hopefully see some links golf hopefully there's some decent coverage somewhere of this um you know we're usually it's july now we're looking forward to to the open championship just being a couple of weeks away and we've not got that so we're desperate for any kind of links golf aren't we yeah absolutely i mean variation is key in scheduling i mean look at what we've been talking about on the pga tour with these one-dimensional courses you know we have to mix up course setups we have to mix up styles of courses and if you do that the product becomes better because variety is key Absolutely. And talking of one-dimensional golf courses, they're going to be very one-dimensional for the next two weeks on the PGA Tour because they're going to be played at the same course for the next two weeks. So this week is the Workday Charity Open, which is a new event created after the John Deere Classic was cancelled. And as you said, it's the start of back-to-back weeks at Murfield Village with the Memorial Tournament next week. Uh, this week, we've got seven of the world's top 15 are playing, headlined by John Rahm, Butch Kupka, and Justin Thomas. And, you know, the Mewfield Village, iconic golf course, we always see it, but we're going to see it two weeks in a row. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, I am now a Formula One fan after watching all the Netflix <laughs> series, and they are having two races in a row at Austria, which... Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty boring. Having watched it last week, it was good, but you're basically just going to watch the same thing over again. And I think that might be what happens here. Uh, I guess as as viewers on the telly, we will get to know the course that little bit better because it'll be a lot fresher in the mind. And there, there are talks that there might be different pin positions and faster greens. And I think the field next week will be better as well. Hopefully Tiger Woods plays because he always plays at the memorial uh, but yeah it's gonna be a little bit boring i think maybe that's a little bit negative oh well, sure i agree with elliot i i think actually i'm looking forward to because you know how it goes with with certain events you see them one year and then you see them the next year and by the end of the event you've kind of re-familiarized yourself with the course so having completely familiarized yourself with the course and then seeing it again next week i think it'll be really interesting to see kind of the strategy that the players employ see if it makes any difference with scoring and also, I mean, there's so many variables in golf. It's not just about the course, is it? It's about the day, the conditions, the player, the form. So I don't really see that being too detrimental to, to my enjoyment of it, certainly. And I think there are there are elements that might kind of enhance it from a normal fortnightly stretch. But we shall see. Well, the big question is, who do we think is going to do well this week? Anyone that really pops out of you that we could, should be uh, looking at? Well, I've gone for three picks over 100 to 1. They're all in good form. Ryan Armour at 100 to 1. I think he was, he's been sixth and fourth in his last two starts. Mark Hubbard at 140 to 1. I think he was 12th last week. And then Chris Kirk is 110 to 1. And he won a couple of weeks ago on the Corn Ferry Tour and was 36-old leader last week. So I've gone for value this week. 
Why on earth have you gone for? Do you know you can pick, you can pick anyone in this? You've gone for three complete uh, outsiders. You've you've ignored all the world's best players and gone for some randoms. Eddie, can you pick? Can you pick Ryan Armour and Mark Hubbard out of a police lineup? Uh, I could pick Ryan Armour, but I'm not sure about Mark Hubbard. No, <laughs> I certainly couldn't. Uh, I'm going to go with a a more familiar face Uh, I pick him quite often just because I think he's a fantastic player admittedly he doesn't get over the line as much as he should but I think that class eventually wins out Uh, it's going to be Zander Schofield for me Um, you do pick pick him every week I just think he's such a class act whenever I watch him obviously he's come close a couple of times this season so he'll have a bit of a chip on his shoulder and He's 10th in the uh, strokes gained tee to green statistics and 7th in adjusted scoring on the PJ Tour. I think Muirfield Village is a golf course where you have to put your ball and play off the tee and have very accurate approaches because uh, the green complexes are quite tricky and there's a lot of trouble in the shape of thick rough bunkers and, and water surrounding the green complexes. So I think it's his style of golf course too. Yeah, and I am going to pick someone who has had success at uh for finish in the past. That's Justin Rose, who's back in the field this week. He's decent odds. Get him about twenty-five to one, which I think is pretty decent value. To be honest with you, uh, he's been he's been playing pretty decent since lockdown has ended, and um, I think he'll do pretty well. Nick, you're a big Justin Rose fan. Well, he's got a great record at Murfield Village, doesn't he? Uh, again, it's his style of golf course. He's, just his game is not similar to, to Zander Schofield. He's a good iron player. Well, actually, his iron play stats haven't been so good of late, but traditionally been a very good iron player, good strategist, um, good tidy all-round game. And it's a course that suits him. And, you know, I fully expect him off the back of two top 15s to, to do well. If you want a bigger name pick, uh, this could be the week for Victor Hovland. He could... <laughs> I just knew it. I just knew you were going to say Victor Hovland. He, he's in good form lately. Uh, a brilliant driver of the ball. I know uh, Memorial Tournament always has quite thick rough. And yeah, this could be the week that he finally wins his first kind of main PGA Tour event. So I think he won in Puerto Rico in like an opposite field last year. This is his fifth event in a row, isn't it? So fatigue might be a factor. We should see. Yeah, he's on a ridiculous drive, isn't he? Around the US, drinking Red Bull, listening to metal music. So I quite like the sound of that. Sounds good. So for the rest of our betting tips, and if you want to bet back uh, Elliot's 100 to ones, and good luck to you. But for all our betting tips, do Google Golf Betting Tips and click on the Golf Monthly uh, posts or go to the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk. Or, of course, follow us on social media at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. Um, now, there is another event this week. Uh and it's the European Tour is returning, which I'll be honest with you, has taken me slightly by surprise because I didn't. I'm not sure I even realised this was happening, but it is happening. It's the Austrian Open, uh, which is kind of we think really a Challenge Tour event, which has been uh, elevated to European Tour status, and it's not got the worst field. Uslauten, Tom Stetri, Nicholas Kolkarts, to, to name three. Um, but great that there's going to be some European Tour golf happening, isn't it? Yeah, I think this means that European Tour players can begin earning world ranking points again, which is great. Obviously, that was quite a contentious issue with uh, the PGA Tour players earning ranking points for the last month. And yeah, the field is actually surprisingly good. I think we've got another week in Austria next week, which is, again, a, a similar kind of challenge tour event and then the British Masters in a couple of weeks so it's really starting to get back up and running now in Europe 
just yeah, just looking through the field now, it's actually stronger than I thought. But it is quite striking the disparity in prize pools, isn't it, between the European and PGA Tour? I mean, admittedly, the Austrian Open doesn't really have much of a, a high prize pool anyway. But five hundred thousand euros is the prize pool uh, up against tournament. This is a last-minute cobbled together tournament in the states that has a prize pool of six million dollars, and and normally the prize pool for Muirfield Village is, is kind of nine thousand, uh, sorry, nine million. So yeah, quite stark there the contrast. Absolutely. The other thing to point out about these two events in Austria, which I think is one of the reasons why they're suddenly being cobbled in, is that actually now with the UK travel advice, there is now a, a travel corridor, I think is the, the phrase, between Austria and the UK. So you, you don't have to quarantine for the two weeks if you're coming in from Austria, which means that the guys who are playing in Austria can also come over to the UK and play in those events as well. So it looks like there's been some good work going on behind the scenes just to try and get as many events being played in the European Tour and, as we've already said, to give the guys a chance to win a bit of cash and also to get some world ranking points, which obviously is very important. I wonder how Bernd Wiesberger feels about this because I would assume that he's been quarantined in the UK for the past two weeks with the announcement, what was it, like on, on Friday or something? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it, uh, that probably has changed some people's travel plans, hasn't it? So uh, good luck to all the guys. Again, we will do some betting tips for for the Austrian Open. Do check out the Golf Monthly website to see who we're tipping. Is there anyone that you two want to just give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, Miguel Angel Jimenez. I think, you know, European Tour veteran. Won the Senior Open a couple of years ago. I think he's a class above a lot of the field and still plays a lot in the Champions Tour. So his game's still there. I'll say Sammy Valamaki. I spoke to him kind of early lockdown. I forget exactly when that was because you know time didn't really mean anything in early periods of lockdown. And what struck me was just how determined and confident he is. And he's a fantastic driver of the golf ball. And I can see him really shooting up the world rankings over the next few months. I think he's a class act, so one to watch for sure. And of course, had already won on the European Tour this year as well. Exactly, in Oman. Yeah, this is at the uh, the Diamond Country Club, which I think is one of the longest courses in uh, European Tour history. First, so uh, it's set up really well for Miguel Ango Jimenez then. <laughs> well, he, he actually redesigned the course in 2010, so maybe he knows a few things that the other guys don't. Good knowledge, good knowledge. So a few other things we're just going to finish on with a bit of other news which was going on in the world of golf. So firstly, the PJ Tour scrapped its plans for fans to return in next week's Memorial Tournament due to rising COVID-19 cases in Ohio. And I think this is probably good practice from the PJ Tour, especially with the issues that they've had with positive tests, which have actually gone slightly quieter in the past week than we had before. So uh, I think it's probably a good idea that they're, again, just reassessing when fans can get back onto a actual properties to watch watch the events live yeah we said it was going to be a, a kind of kick up the backside didn't we for the the pj tour and it looks that way i think chad campbell tested positive last week but he was the only player and yeah i think it's definitely the right decision to keep fans off site for now especially when the entertainment product is still really good yeah couldn't agree more yeah and um other news francesco molinari has announced he's moving to california after living in London for 11 years, he's skipping the European Tour restart and looks like he's not playing again till the USPGA Championship. So obviously some big changes for Molinari and he really is just moving stateside now. Yeah, he was becoming a bit of an honorary Brit over the last few years. We were 
very proud of him when he won the Open. Uh, very proud when he won the, uh, sorry, when he played so well at the Ryder Cup. And yeah, he's been practicing it and been playing at the Wisley as well for the, the last decade with Dennis Pugh. So it'd be interesting to see what he does there. And I've heard the tax is very high in California. So a lot of the Golf Monthly readers are questioning why he's made that move. But it looks like it's for, for family reasons. Yeah. I mean, it must be terrible living in California right, with all that sunshine and that <laughs> lovely relaxed way of life. And he's got endless money. So I don't really think that's an issue. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd probably agree with that. It's amazing that Elliot brings up the tax thing. That's, so, that's such an Elliot Heath thing to do. Yeah, uh, bring up tax over lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I obviously look after the social channels and that's what a lot of our audience are saying. Like, why didn't he go to Florida? There's, there's no tax in Florida, but uh, obviously his wife and his children really like the idea of living in the uh, Golden State. Indeed. So, I mean, uh, logistically, it would be easier for him to move to Florida. I mean, obviously... It's got great transport links through Miami there, and it's easier to access sort of the rest of the world. So I think this suggests that we're going to see Molinari playing quite a heavy US schedule moving forward, not just this season, but in the next few years too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that there was obviously a bit going on with his swing. He was playing pretty dreadfully at the start of the year. Um, maybe he's still working through that. Um, if he's not playing till the PGA, it would suggest that maybe his game's still not quite in where it was before so we'll wait and see but whatever I think as you said he's kind of been a bit of an honorary Brit so um, I think we'll still keep an eye on on how he's playing. One final thing to touch on uh, with a cautious uh, note and that is Torbjorn Olsen's European Tour suspension has been lifted after his court case was pushed back to December 2021. Um, he hasn't actually played in almost about 12 months and obviously, Odison got himself in a bit of a bit of trouble, and was supposed to have a court case quite soon. So that's because of the backlog, because of COVID nineteen, that's been pushed back almost eighteen months. So I think it's probably a, a good decision that he's allowed to try and uh, keep his career going and his living going whilst he's got this um, obviously this case shadowing over him. Do you think he'll play soon? Yeah, I think it, with the the new travel corridor stuff, I, I don't know if Denmark's on the list. To be fair. But, yeah, he'll be wanting to get back up and running as soon as possible. I know he played last week in the Danish PGA Championship, spoke to the media for the first time in a year and was very apologetic to his fans. So, yeah, put in a good score as well. I think he was, he was eighth or something on eight under. So, yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant golfer and he'll, yeah, he'll be desperate to get his career back up and running. Yep, and I just looked, Denmark is on that the, the list where you don't have to quarantine. So, um, I think we probably will be seeing him uh, if you can get in the field. So um, we'll probably leave it there. I had a good long chat today about all kinds of stuff and um, the, the game of golf continues to be in the headlines and, um, and mostly for the good reasons as well uh, and the exciting reasons, which is around the actual playing of, of the game and not um, what's going on around it. So fingers crossed we can chat about that more uh, next week. But until then, thanks, Elliot, for your time. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, thanks very much. And uh, we will speak to you all again next week.